Blog Talk Radio. Good evening. This is your host, Janice Tunnell for Beauty Talk. Um, thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, we've been having a little bit of technical difficulties here, just a little bit, but I think everybody can hear me. Um, we are excited about tonight's show. We have Natalie Edwards on with us tonight. She's the Global Executive Director of Inclusion and Diversity at the Estee Lauder Company. Um, but I just want to remind everyone, if you have a comment or a question for tonight's show, please give us a call at 914-803-4399. Again, that number is 914-803-4399. Um, we are also on Twitter um, chatting, and my sister Denise is handling that, and she'll give you a little bit more information about how you can join that conversation. But if you have any comments or questions, please feel free to give us a call right here on Blog Talk Radio, and we'll get those comments and questions on as well. Um, if you don't want to call in, you can always email us your comments and questions, and that's beautygirls, with an S, beautygirlsmedia at gmail.com. Now I'm going to turn it over to Denise. Good evening, everyone, and once again, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you all for joining us tonight. Uh, we want to shout out our listeners from all over the world. Thank you all for listening uh, each and every week, and thank you all for even um, joining in on the uh, on the playback and listening to our shows, um, you know, when you can't listen to them live. So we just thank you guys for uh, being supportive and, and always listening. And again, like Janice stated, we will be on uh, Twitter chatting from beauty underscore talk. Um, that's the handle on Twitter, beauty underscore talk. And we will be uh, having a tweet chat to go along with tonight's, um, tonight's show. So you can join us there. And we will be using the hashtag, the Black Creative Experience, the Black Creative Experience. All right. So while we wait for our guests to get on the line, I'm just going to go straight to a commercial break, and we'll be right back. How would you like to become friends with benefits? 
I'm sure that got your attention. I'm talking about FriendsBeauty.com, now offering a benefits discount program to all of our friends. That's right. Professionals that qualify can save up to 40% and non-professional consumers up to 10% just for setting up a free account online. At Friends Beauty, we offer a huge range of products, including beauty makeup, special FX and theatrical makeup, skin care, wigs and extensions, styling tools, and more with thousands of brands at the best prices. We've been in business since 1940 and pride ourselves on ensuring our friends have the best shopping experience ever. Sign up for our Friends Discount Program and shop with us today at Friends, that's F-R-E-N-D-S, no I, beauty.com friendsbeauty.com. We also offer studio services for production orders at 818-691-1294. That's 818-691-1294. Join our program and become a friend with benefits today. All right. We are back and we have Natalie on the line. I'm just trying to... uh, her number here. Hold on a second, you guys. Bear with me. But again, we are speaking tonight with Natalie Edwards, and she's the Global Executive Director of Inclusion and Diversity at the Estee Lauder Company. She's on the line. I'm just trying to identify. Gotcha. All right. So I'm bringing Natalie. I apologize, everybody. Hi, Natalie. Welcome to the show. Hi. Can you hear me okay? Yes, I can. Thank you I for can having hear me you. on. I'm excited for the chat today. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us. I was really excited when you said yes. Um, you just don't know. <laughs> so we are very <laughs> excited to have you here. Um, this is a conversation that we've been wanting to have for a very, very long time. So, again, welcome to the show. Why don't you just start off just by introducing yourself to our listening audience? Sure. And again, thank you for having me. So my name is Natalie Edwards, um, and I serve currently as the Global Executive Director of Inclusion and Diversity for the Estee Lauder Companies. And for those that don't know, the Estee Lauder Companies is the prestige ha- the global house of prestige beauty, and it includes over 25 brands. Um, some you may have known are in our portfolio. Some you might not have, such as MAC Cosmetics, um, Smashbox, Clinique, Aveda, Bobby Brown, the list goes on and on. So I'm super excited to be here and talk beauty tonight. Yes, absolutely. And again, um, just for those of you who are listening, if you have comments or questions, please give us a call at 914-803-4399. Natalie, why don't we just start off the conversation tonight by basically um, telling us a little bit about what the, a director of inclusion and diversity at a cosmetic brand does. Yeah, so in short, um, oh, is there an echo? Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I did hear a little echo a little while ago, but um, I'm not sure. Are you you're calling from a phone line, right? I, from a, a cell phone? I, I am, and I heard it too, but I don't hear it now, so I'll just continue talking. How about that? Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, as an executive director of inclusion and diversity at a cosmetics house, what I do and what a lot of my peers do across industries is really um, ensure that as much as possible, we are making sure both our employees and our consumers worldwide feel valued, feel welcomed, even amongst their differences, and that they are valued and seen. So that can go anything from talent strategies to making sure there's representation in our workforce but also advising on product lines that, um, you know, are sold to the consumer to meet their needs. Gotcha. Gotcha. And how did you start your, your, your journey in diversity? Did it start long before the Estee Lauder companies? Yes, actually. So um, I'll actually back up 
from the very beginning because I think my um, upbringing really makes sense with this question. But um, Mm -hmm. for those that don't know me personally, I am the proud daughter of two immigrants from Jamaica. I was raised primarily in the state of Texas. Um, And my parents always taught me that diversity is a strength, right? And that um, not to, you know, be fearful of other cultures, but actually to move toward them from a curiosity perspective. So I was always primarily in diverse, you know, areas, except unfortunately for school, which was very interesting. I think many particularly black women today, unfortunately, have had an experience in school where they're the only ones, right? And I was Mm -hmm. in honors classes outside of Houston, so that was very much the case, unfortunately. And so that shaped my worldview as well. I was always asking the question, why am I the only one here, right? And I was too young to understand bias. I mean, I knew what racism was, but I didn't know all of the things that I teach today that you would learn in like a diversity training, you know? Um, And then Mm -hmm. I made the decision to go to Howard university um, and leave Texas and go to DC to um, an an excellent and dare I say vice presidential um, uh, historically (laughs) black college. And, you know, those four years were incredible for me um, and totally, I think changed my life as many HBCU alums will, will proudly say. And after that, I went into federal consulting at Deloitte, where I was essentially, that sounds really fancy, to say I was doing strategy product projects for federal agencies under President Obama. So I was going into large agencies like Health and Human Services, you know, the FDA, so on and so forth. And if they had a project such as, you know, for their HR department primarily is what I did. So I did a lot of HR strategy projects, helped them be more efficient, advised on their hiring practices, anything strategic they needed to solve for, I did. And at that time, diversity and inclusion projects started to come up. And it was really before diversity and inclusion became a national conversation or was titled diversity Mm -hmm. and inclusion, right? And so I Mm -hmm. was advising on things like how do I, you know, how does the agency uh, you know, do better at hiring millennials? Or how do we increase, um, you know, the number of applicants from a certain background, for example? We don't see enough coming through the pipeline. How do we build that pipeline? So I was really at the forefront of helping these very large um, departments figure out those things. And again, at the time, I had no idea it was going to be called diversity and inclusion. And then I went to business school and got my MBA um, at the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School of Business. And when I was there, those two years, I was doing a lot of diversity and inclusion work um, for the dean of the school. And I really dove in particularly amongst the black student population. I felt that there was not enough students um, who were black that were applying to the school or even choosing the school. And so I really worked with the dean to change our reputation, to increase communication with, with incredible black applicants. And in a year, um, my efforts combined with many others at the school who were pushing for the same resulted in the Wharton MBA black student population doubling in a single year to a record high. After that, I became the head of diversity inclusion in the student government. I also sat on the dean's special task force, and you have to understand, team through 2018. So I was at the table in that role when Charlottesville happened. I was in the table at the role in that role when the Muslim ban happened. And I was at the table in that role, I don't know if you remember this, um, but do you remember when those two um, African-American men were called the police on in a Starbucks um, because they did not order something? Yes, well, if you look that up, that was the Starbucks uh, in Rittenhouse Square, Philadelphia, where that neighborhood, 99% of Wharton MBAs live. That same Starbucks I went to just a few months before to get a latte on my birthday. It was two blocks from my apartment. So I literally was in in the seat at the table at the Wharton School managing diversity for the student class, um, advising on questions like, hey, people that go through Wharton MBA are probably going to be executives at some point in their career. How are we teaching diversity? How are we teaching inclusion? How are we teaching multicultural management strategies? Because they will have to lead their organizations and demonstrate these skills if you're going to be an executive in the 21st century. And also dealing with crises like that that was happening in our world. Um, so 
yeah, that's, that's, that's how I came into diversity and inclusion. And then after that, I took a role at Estee Lauder. And I'm, you know, still here and time is flying. Wow. <laughs> that's a great story. <laughs> um, <laughs> let me ask you, ask you in, in regards to the beauty industry now, um, in your opinion, where are we in the beauty industry when it relates to um, race, equality, inclusivity, diversity, all of that? You know, I, I'm encouraged. And, um, in fact, when I took my – accepted my, my, my job at Esselator Companies, I had um, a few friends actually ask me why beauty, you know, versus a different industry. And I said this to them, and I hope it encourages you – and also everyone listening, to me, I know I wanted to work in diversity and inclusion, but to me, the beauty industry has a unique um, responsibility and also a unique accountability in being inclusive. There are very few other industries where you can take the products of a company, lay them on a table, and see how inclusive they are, right? So, Right. For me, looking at foundation shades, looking at, you know, who is in ads, you know, just you don't have to look at the marketing. You know, you just have to look at the product and you can kind of see are they are they investing in this or are they not? And unfortunately, I felt like I could make the biggest impact in the beauty. And also too, just as a black woman, I, I think maybe you can relate or people listening can relate. I didn't grow up seeing myself in beauty ads. I didn't grow up seeing myself on T V. I didn't grow up Right. Uh, seeing myself represented as aspirational or beautiful in mainstream media at all. Um, and so for me, having that memory burned into the back of my head and, and having a sit at the table to be able to influence whether future generations have that same experience and feel seen and feel beautiful, that can change the world. And so I don't take my position very lightly Sure, inclusion is hard work. Don't get it twisted. We do not wave a magic wand and, and the world changes, but there are people at many companies that are doing this work, CEOs, chief diversity officers, leaders at all levels, people leading employee resource groups that collectively are coming together and making a change day by day. Right. Because um, we've, we've been talking about you know, this whole diversity issue for the last, um, let's see, the last past five episodes. Um, we, my sister and I are both makeup artists for film and television, so we've been talking to other makeup artists that are are in um, leadership positions. Um, we've been talking to publicists who've worked at some of the big studios. We've been talking to um, a few um, Broadway actors and singers, as well as hair and makeup from Broadway, um, just people with different backgrounds in this, you know, the, the entertainment side of beauty, um, and we all feel, like, you know, diversity has to start, um, you know, from the top, you know, mm -hmm. from management all the way down. Um, do you would you agree that? Um, Leadership is not diverse. It has to on diversity in general. You're breaking up a little bit. Can you repeat the question? Yeah, you're breaking up. I was breaking up. Okay. Yeah. Can you hear me better now? I yeah. can. Okay. Okay. I was saying um, with uh, diversity as far as leadership is concerned, um, do you agree, would you agree that um, for authentic change to actually take place, that diversity has to be or start at the leadership level? Yeah, I mean, be clear. I think ultimately in all organizations, um, you know, what leaders say is what goes. That they set the direction, that's why they're leaders. Now, do I, I think your question was asking about diversity and leadership. To me, of course, right, diversity and leadership and at all levels, be clear as well. It's not just leadership. It's all levels of organization is important. And, and, you know, in my opinion, historically, our beauty industry has not been very racially diverse 
at the top. Um, in fact, if you're listening, I recommend you go to my company's website, elcompanies.com. We actually made some public commitments to racial equity, mm-hmm. and one of the commitments is making sure we reach um, population parity at all levels in the United States for black employees, meaning in the next five years, every level in the United States of the SLR companies will have at least 13% of those employees be black. That is public. Nice. That is on our website. That is something I'm directly involved in day in and day out. So look that up. But I also want to make the note in case anyone here is listening um, that that maybe doesn't feel involved in the conversation or, you know, is kind of listening in. I believe it takes all of us of all different backgrounds mm-hmm. to come together and make change. I don't want anyone to feel like because um, change is being made and we want to have diversity at the top that the, the, quite honestly, the white males at the top don't have to jump in and help and make change as well. We all, it's going to require all of us the same way it requires every single person in a brand to roll up their sleeves and make, you know, make a sales goal. It takes all of us to roll up our sleeves to be the most inclusive place in the world uh, to work and also to buy products from. So it, to me, I think diversity at the top and at all levels is important, but also no matter mm-hmm. what you look like, you need to be involved in this work. Right. Absolutely. I agree with that 100%. Um, do you think that the beauty industry today, right now, um, is more diverse than it's ever been? And if so, is that enough? Is it diverse enough? Is there more room? I'm sure it's more room for for change. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, don't, I can't speak for the entire industry for sure. And I think every brand is different um, across the industry and goes through ebbs and flows. There are some brands that were a lot more diverse 10 years ago than they are now. And there are a lot of brands that are a lot more diverse today than they were 10 years ago. So it, it kind of depends, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying, across the industry. Mm-hmm. But I do think with your second question, is it diverse enough? Um, that's interesting. I, to me, as a diversity professional, I never think anything is diverse <laughs> enough, right? There's no finish right. line for diversity. You don't pull up on a certain date at 5 p.m. and be like, oh, great, we're diverse enough, check. You know what I mean? Right, you always right. have to be pushing to the next level. You always have to be saying what perspective is not the table. You always have to be pushing yourself as an organization to go even deeper into making sure people feel valued, seen, and heard. I've also heard um, a, a great executive in the beauty industry once say that if you have diversity at the table, but for the entire meeting, they don't say anything, then no, you don't have diversity at the table. So we also have right. to talk about inclusion, right? It's, it's one thing for sure. I'm not minimizing representation at all. As the commitments were made, as I mentioned earlier, we are committed, and many of our peers in the industry are committed to increasing, particularly black talent, um, as a result mm-hmm. of the conversations that have happened around the world this year. Um, but at the same time, the second half of my job, right, it's not just diversity. I'm not the director of diversity. I'm diversity and inclusion, right? making sure that once people of different backgrounds are in the door, they're not quiet in the meeting. They're not, you know, sitting in the corner. They are valued. They're right. asking their opinion. And when they speak, they're listened to. Because ultimately, if you have diverse perspectives on your team, but they never feel comfortable to contribute, then no, you don't have diverse perspectives on your team. Right. I agree. Why do you think, though, why do you think there are some people who get to the table and then they're quiet? I think, and this, keep it, be clear, This is I don't think this is just a beauty industry-specific circumstance. I think no, this is not. corporate America and, and, and working in general. I think that we have to do a better job as a society of making people feel safe, and that goes a lot mm-hmm. along the lines of microaggressions. That goes along the lines of unconscious bias. That affects people of color differently um, than others. Um, But ultimately, this is also why I said people of all backgrounds should be involved in this work, because we all have biases, and if they go unchecked, that's what results in people feeling like they can't speak up at work. Right. I want to talk a little bit about 
um, just cosmetic brands. And I was reading an article recently, and the writer mentioned that um, now, today, brands are now embracing a demographic, and they were speaking particularly um, women of color, particularly black women. Um, They're now embracing a demographic that they've been ignoring for years. And and they cited that the reason why they believe that they're now embracing it is because now they see that black women are spending more on cosmetics than other not you know than our non-black counterparts. And now they feel like um, cosmetic brands embracing us and being more diverse has a lot to do with economics. Um, do you really do you feel like some brand well I guess you can only speak for your brand but I'm just just wondering how do you feel about that statement um and do you feel like there is some a little truth to well that's a great question I think the data you mentioned which is that black women spend more on cosmetics than non-black counterparts is true that has mm-hmm. actually been proven I I actually saw um, a study done by BET, actually, where they um, did this really interesting documentary series. One of the episodes was on beauty. Um, and the data is true. I think, I don't want to misspeak, but I think it's almost like six times the amount of money a year as, as someone um, who is not black in America. Um, mm-hmm. so my, my perspective is that, you know, if you're going to be inclusive, particularly as a cosmetic brand, you have to invest to do it right and you have to do it well right Um, because the reality of the situation is even within a certain group let's go with black women because that was the example you put out there no two black women are the same right there's a diversity of experiences views of beauty needs of certain products features they need you know you know uh, products to help with and preferences right like I and also, also talk about you know, all the other aspects of diversity that are not to do with race. My mother and I are both black women. We do not use the same products because we're of different age, different stage in our life, uh, different, you know, things we need makeup for, for example, different, you know, environments. Literally, she lives in Houston. I live in New Jersey. Literally different temperatures, right? I'm using different moisturizer right now because it's cold in New Jersey, and in Houston it's still Houston, right? It doesn't matter what time it's right. And so literally, I don't mean to make a joke out of it because it's serious, but I'm, I'm being serious. I think sometimes one of the biggest misconceptions is that, oh, well, if you, you know, if you put a black woman in an ad, you know, we'll, we'll sell to the black consumer. And that's not true. I think companies like S.A. Lauder companies are taking it very seriously to not just sell to black women to sell to black women. But I think just like I've seen from my seat, no matter what the demographic is, there's a lot of work that goes into making sure the company does it in a thorough way, in a respectful way that doesn't make Mm -hmm. the consumer feel like they're just checking a box. Right. And they're trying to do it in the best way possible. So I would just say that as like the data is true of what you're saying about black women spending more. I've seen studies that show that for sure. But I also want to caution anyone listening that, um, any beauty brand needs to make sure they're doing it right and doing it respectfully to where no two consumers are made to feel like they have the exact same needs just because they share a skin color. Right. So when it comes to the advertising, the marketing, um, how does inclusion of women of color, of women of color play into this whole topic of diversity for cosmetic brands? Um, in your opinion, does it, what does it say about the brand? What, can you repeat that? I don't know if I understand the question you're trying to ask. So, so, when, you ad, when, so when you see your advertisements um, and, and they include women of color, um, I guess I'm trying to figure out, like, how, when they're being inclusive of women of color, what is it? What is that saying about the brand and the message that they're trying to to put out? Because I remember seeing in Ulta, not Ulta, Sephora. I can't remember what brand it was. They had the the picture they had 
just different races of women. And there was a couple, um, maybe two or three black women in the picture. And one of the things they said was, we got you, Ruth. And I was so turned off. Mm-hmm. Um, I was trying to figure out, like, okay, what are you saying here? I know you've added a couple extra shades, but just the advertisement alone um, just kind of threw me off and kind of turned me away. I didn't even really want to look and see what they, you know, what they had done new with the brand. Um, I was just kind of turned off. And I'm just thinking, wondering, when it comes to advertising and when they when they include women of color, maybe in the, the pictures, and then when they add a couple of extra shades um, to kind of stretch the range, what should the advertising be saying to the consumer about the brand and what they're trying to do to be inclusive and diverse? Yeah, well, I'm sorry about that. I, that ad, I, I'm not familiar with it. I don't think it's one of ours for sure. But um, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. Oh, okay, your example, because I'm like, oh, I've never heard of that one. Um, your example was a good one. I, I think because in general, I think when you see women of color included, which I know is now, you know, going up across our industry in ads. I think, and maybe I'm, you know, optimistic and positive because I'm in the inclusion world and I usually advise on these things, it's because the company is trying to literally show consumers of all backgrounds um, that all backgrounds are beautiful, right? And I don't know if you all saw this, but I think last year um, I saw something on Instagram and I never forgot it. It was a, you know how sometimes um, – people share those like Instagram posts that look like they're actually tweets and screenshots of tweets. Um, somebody was talking about, um, I think it was actually um, one of the, the superhero movies that came out last year and it had a, it wasn't Black Panther, but it was another superhero movie that had a relatively diverse cast. And um, the tweet had said that it's important for um, these superhero movies to have diverse cast, not just so that little children of color can see themselves as superheroes, but also so little white children can see children, people of color as superheroes. So to me, okay. and I never forgot that tweet, it's still in the back of my head to this day, because to me, um, an ad that has, let's say, five women, and they all look very different, and they're all wearing the product that they're advertising, and they all look stunning, that not only tells a woman of color something about that brand, but it also tells a white consumer of that brand something about that brand, right? And that, to me, I think it's important to have inclusive marketing. I do. Um, and I don't know if it necessarily says anything about the brand other than the fact that they value you as a consumer and they value you with their products. So, I mean, I can't speak for every brand, of course. I'm not going to speak for every brand in the beauty industry. But um, at least I know that is the intention behind other companies. Gotcha. You know, um, a few years ago when, when Rihanna came out with her brand, um, a lot of people were saying that it was a game changer for the beauty industry and then you started to be, you began to see other brands, you know, a little later come out with, you know, like 40, you know, 40 more shades or whatever the number was. Um, what do you think about that? Do you think that was something that was a game changer for the industry? I mean, was it something that helped other brands say, okay, we need to be we need to be doing something very similar, or we need to be paying attention, or um, because you know a lot of people are now trying to do that to add lots more shades. Do you think it was something that changed the game a little bit? I mean, I, I think Fenty really increased the conversation for sure about diversity mm-hmm. and inclusion mm-hmm. in the beauty industry, particularly with consumers. Um, I'm yeah. not going to knock that in any way. That is an undeniable fact. I think the Fenty effect, as they call it, is very real. Um, but I also mm-hmm. want to call out the fact that, as we know right here t- today, 
there were some brands that were doing this way before Fenty, right? When we think of mm-hmm. Cassette, right. right? When yeah. we think of Bobby Brown, you see what I'm saying? Like right. a lot of yeah. brands, and by the way, those two are an SO at our company's portfolio, right? Yeah. And so yeah. while I also for sure will give Rihanna credit for completely driving conversation and increasing it in our industry when she launched her own company, I also want to make sure that a lot of brands laid that foundation um, beforehand that I think sometimes I left out of that conversation. And, I, you know, I just want right. to make sure they get credit too. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, Bobby Brown has always been one of those brands, even when we were just interviewed yesterday and people were, and they were asking, um, you know, like what's one of our favorite brands for, for women of color. And, and that's one brand that I always, always suggest is Bobby Brown. And again, like you said, oh, Bobby Brown laid that foundation years ago. And, and like you said, mm-hmm. Mac as well, but those were one of the two um, brands, even at the beginning of my makeup career that I always turned to because they always had shades for all women. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and like you said, even though, you know, what Fenty has done is great. Um, again, you you know, your good old standbys would, would have to be Mac and Bobby Brown. It, it just has to be. Yeah. They were really, um, you know, standing for diversity and inclusion before it was even called that. You have to, you have to call that mm-hmm. out. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? They were doing it before it was normal to have so many shades for so many different types of people. So, so while, since I, I just said that, why do you think those brands may have been overlooked by some consumers when, you know, because people, so I felt like, you know, a lot of consumers were just like really pushing for brands to come out with darker colors like, why do you hmm. feel like um, those brands were overlooked? Uh, I mean, was it just the brands that had been around for, for a long time? And I guess, I don't know. I'm just trying to figure out why were those brands overlooked when they clearly had the colors then and they have the colors now? Yeah, I mean, I, I won't comment on that. I know both those brands take inclusion very seriously, as their history clearly shows they have always. Um, but, I, you know, just in general, I think that, the consumer could use um, more information on some of the histories of a lot of brands in the beauty industry. I think sometimes it's easy to um, go online and look up, you know, your favorite shade and, you know, the latest ad campaign. And I think a lot of brands in our industry could really benefit from telling their story more, right? Um, Particularly with younger consumers, some of whom, were born after some of these brands were created doing this work, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so in general, I don't, I don't want to say they're overlooked. I know tons and tons of people, um, even before I worked at Best Letter Companies, who were huge Mac fans, have been lifetime Mac fans and Bobby Brown fans. My mother uses those brands. My grandmother used those brands. And, you know, <laughs> she unfortunately passed away in 2002. So like, this is not, you know, we are not new to this. We are true to this. Um, But at the end of the day, I do think um, there is an opportunity to tell the story more often about the brands that have been about this life, so to speak, before the newcomers came along. And I like that response because, um, you know, a lot of people are very, I mean, of course, a lot of people are very familiar with Matt. But I just remember years ago when I used to uh, freelance with Bobby Brown, a lot, to be honest with you, a lot of black people didn't know what Bobby Brown Cosmetics was. And honestly, they, every time you mentioned it, they, they were like, oh, the R&B singer Bobby Brown has a cosmetics line? I mean, honestly, I've heard that comment several times. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I think, you know, like you said, the brands just – telling their story in general, you know, you know, more people, I think now more people know because when you go into the department stores and you kind of, especially if you're like, you know, into makeup and you're just kind of going from one counter to the next or whatever, you kind of know who Bobby, what, you know, the Bobby Brown brand. Um, but I'm sure there's still a few people who, who just don't know. But I think back, back then when I was freelancing with Bobby Brown, a lot of black people did not know at all. 
Um, so again, I, I agree with that. Them telling their stories just about a little bit of everything, you know, their history in general, um, as well as you know their take on um, inclusion as well. Um, what do you think some change? What do you think um, some of the changes that need to be made within the beauty um, the beauty industry, in particular, beauty brands? Are there things? I mean, I like the idea of what you said about telling the stories, but do you think there's other things that beauty brands in general can do to um, help certain uh, consumers feel like they've been included and not left out? Yeah, I think for sure what I spoke about earlier about our ELCs, public commitments, racial equity, hiring is a big um, one for me personally. In fact, it's Sometimes when I was in school, it would annoy me almost when brands would have someone look like me in ads, but I knew that, you know, they never came to Howard to recruit for jobs, you know what I mean? So it's just an interesting thing. So for me, hiring is really putting, in my opinion, your money where your mouth is, right? Um, Making sure Mm -hmm. people of color are at the decision-making table, um, and that the decision-making table isn't of itself as diverse as the consumer that you're looking to, to have um, and the communities that you serve. So that's number one. I think number two is also um, in our commitments for sure. And number two is uh, making sure your creative process um, is diverse, right? So what is the demographics of the creative directors and the creatives you have and the photographers and the models and the marketing agencies you use and all of that. And again, we have some commitments around that as well. So check it out on our website. Um, But I do think largely, in my opinion, two areas where companies can really make change, whether it's in beauty or any other industry, by the way, is in who you hire and who you do business with. Mm -hmm. Right. I agree. Also, let me ask you, this is kind of like a, a turn on the whole the whole conversation. Um, you know, for years, you know, as a makeup artist, back when I first started, you know, there weren't as many options um, for women of color. And, you know, for years, you, hear, you would hear people say all the time, you know, uh, the shades, you know, the shades aren't dark enough and just the same thing that we've all heard. But then there was one time I heard a brand say that they they don't make their products for black women. And so when I heard that response, it kind of, it, that was a way for me to just kind of like stop even doing the complaining about brands not having the shade, you know, the shade range for various um, dark skin tones. Do you believe that for some for some um, brands, it wasn't a thing of not being inclusive, but more so of this is who my target market is. You know, for instance, if 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 a black person comes out with a cosmetic line specifically for women of color, and it doesn't include white women. Do you think it could it could have been for some of these other brands the same thing that this is this is who our target market is we are only marketing to white women. Hmm. That's an inter- really interesting perspective and question. Um I mean as for me personally I can't comment on any brand's mm-hmm. historical target market or strategy, right? right. Um but at the same right. time my role and my responsibility is to advocate for as much inclusivity as we possibly can. So starting the day I got at ELC, that was my job to continue doing that work. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that's an interesting, I haven't heard that one before, um, but yeah, all I can speak to is what I do and that's to make sure that there isn't a quote unquote target market um, for our brand and that we are inclusive. Gotcha. Gotcha. So speaking of you personally, nothing uh, with the brand, 
Um, have you, um, just throughout your life, um, experienced racism in any way? Oh, of course. I'm a, um, like I said, I am a black woman um, that was raised in the South, <laughs> in Texas. Um, so there's been a lot. I remember um, the first time I was called the N-word. I remember the first time I was with my dad when he was called the N-word. Um, and so, I, I, and of course, that's just the overt stuff, right? We we all know, unfortunately, um, that racism can rear its ugly head in more subtler ways as well. Um, and so, for sure, I mean, unfortunately, there are too many examples for me to give today. Um, but that's another right. reason why I do my work. I get to yeah. educate on topics like racism. That is my career and inform people day by day that ultimately will be empowered to make changes that add up for the next generation. Right. And I like how, I like how on your, um, on your social media, how you, you, you know, you go through and you explain um, a lot of different terms that we're all beginning to hear. And Mm -hmm. to be honest, us don't really know, what certain things mean. And so I love how you, you kind of break that down in your, your Instagram stories. Um, I oh, think I you should that. continue Everybody doing that. Should follow me on Instagram. <laughs> Thank you. That makes me happy. Yes, definitely. <laughs> uh, I definitely love that. Um, let's see. I'm trying to think if I thought I saw a caller. Yes, we have a caller. you want me to explain now or um, yeah, let's do that um, right after this caller. Uh, we have a caller who has a comment or a question. Let's see. Sure. Hello? Hey, it's Viola. Hey, Viola, how are you? Just enjoying enjoying everything. I had to mute out the Emmy, so, but I had to make sure that I called <laughs> in because this is one of the shows that I really, really have wanted to join in. And I have been tweeting about it, and Natalie is uh, <laughs> she's been very transparent and direct. So Natalie, yes. finally, time I have been with Estee Lauder since like nineteen, I'm gonna say ninety five. Like I was oh, literally wow. one of their first black, actually black girls to actually to do makeup to train them. So. Um, and I'm going back in Portland, Oregon, with no social media, although my background is in the beauty industry. Before I got with Estee Lauder, I was a makeup artist for Fashion Fair. Fashion mm-hmm. Fair used to, give, used to give Estee Lauder a run for their money. Um, the white girls didn't know what the fuck they were doing at all, but they had the job. And I used to use my voice. Coming from Chicago to Oregon, I had to stand on a platform to tell them, how is it possible that we spent, my mama come in and she'll buy beautiful, but they didn't know how to sell to her. So I will see Lena Lauder and I will pull him because I was raised not to fear no one. And I used to pull him and ask him, how come she don't don't know how to sell to my mama? And my mother about to buy all of this beautiful set for a little gift that she couldn't wear the color. But she can go to fashion fair where their gifts. We fast forward to twenty twenty, we still have so far to go that I had to create master classes to invite Estee Lauder trainers, to invite every brand that Estee Lauder owns to a Sam Fine master class to train them, to educate them, we still have so far to go. And it angers me that racism is still heavy in the beauty industry. It's something that we can't overlook. I talk to several human resources in corporate at SLR, and I sit with them, and they see it. But slowly it's changing. So I'm going to go back to Rihanna. Rihanna was the image that we that the kids needed. It was the end, and they needed her platform for them to see, okay, black women aren't playing. Black women have this money. Black women are in position. So calling them out on it, we needed that. They needed it. 
Because look at it now. We're in COVID. Nothing is selling. Online it is, but they need us more than ever. More than ever. How are your black boys that's getting their degrees from Howard University? How are these black girls that getting their degrees from, from Spelman in a marketing department to sit at these tables? You know, how are these attorneys who had to speak diversity and inclusion in the retail store? So it's bigger than what we really see. You know, you're doing a beautiful job. I want to applaud you on it. Um, you, and you need us to continue for the diversity to happen, for us to be able to sit at that table and to be able to speak, to speak up. Because they, they say everything on their mind. And we have to have that same feeling to be able to speak up and out. It's just going to open up more doors and opportunities for us. Because they got the money. They can put us on their payroll. I call them out all the time. All the time. So far to go. So far to go, but I'm not going to give up. I really do believe that there's going to be a uh, time where the board directors are going to be black. These kids not playing. You're not playing. So this is a really great, great conversation. Yeah, there. Thank you wow. so much. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you, yeah. so, much. Thank you so much, Barb. Yeah. Appreciate that. Yeah, so I, yeah. I, 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 like over 30 years in the industry, and I get very emotional because I've seen young black girls getting terminated. I've seen young black girls. Um, not getting the opportunity. I've seen young black boys come into these positions for to be a creative director and getting turned down. And it, it bothers me. It really deeply, it bothers me. So they can't say that we aren't out here because we are here. We do spend those that money. I mean, everything what we do, we make magic. And it's just time for them to just give that back and to acknowledge us on that respect instead of just using our image but not giving us the opportunity. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so this is a great, great conversation. Um, it's better than the Emmy. So, uh, <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's better than Emmys. I really appreciate it. So keep doing what you're doing, Natalie. Thank you, Viola, right. and keep being a champion for inclusion. Yeah, yeah you're, you're welcome. Thank you so much, Thank Viola. You. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Um, Natalie, we were talking before the caller, we were talking about some of the the terms that you've been breaking down. How about sharing a couple of those um a couple of those with us before um before tonight's show is over? Yeah, um so the one I was talking a lot about this week was intersectionality. Um for mm-hmm. those that don't know what that means, I think it actually ties in beautifully to what we were talking about before, right? Because I think sometimes um, there, it's a mistake, in my opinion, to think that all consumers of a certain group are exactly the same and have the exact same needs and will buy, respond to the exact same ad, right? Like, that's just not the case. We're intersectional. Intersectionality is a term that was coined by a law professor named Kimberly Crenshaw, and she's incredible. I follow her on Instagram. She's an incredible activist in inclusion, particularly for women of color. So if you don't follow her, it's Kimberley, K-I-M-B-E-R-L-E, Crenshaw. And she started to term the word intersectionality in her research in the 80s, actually. And all intersectionality means is that, yeah, so again, someone else who's not new to this, but true to this, all intersectionality means is that um, every kind of set of our own diverse experiences come together and compound discrimination, right? Mm-hmm. So we all, if you're a black woman on this call, like myself, right, then you're going to know what I'm talking about with my own experience, right? I am a black mm-hmm. woman, which means that I do not have the same womanhood experience 
as a white woman, right, or a Hispanic woman or any other mm-hmm. racial woman. But also, I'm a black woman, so that doesn't mean I have the same experience of blackness as a black man, right? Mm-hmm. And so you know, how my intersectionality works is that racism and sexism combine into my experience, right, because I'm black. And I'm a woman. So together, I may be treated differently um, by anybody else in any of those other groups because I have those two combined. So it's like that discrimination squared almost, right? Now, with that also being said, there are other elements of diversity that I have privilege in. So, for example, what I mentioned on my uh, Instagram is taking that a step further, I'm a black woman, but I'm also not a black woman who's disabled. I'm not a black Mm -hmm. woman who um, grew up very poor. I'm not a black woman who is trans or a member of the LGBTQ community. You see what I'm saying? So all of us, even Mm -hmm. though we may be discriminated against, have privilege against someone else who may have something in common with us but may have something not in common with us. And so the whole point of intersectionality is to make sure that you're not treating everyone in a group the same and you're recognizing that even within a group, even within people that share a characteristic, there are still distinct needs and unique solutions for what those different people need. That's what intersectionality means. And so, again, if you want to learn more about it, check out Kimberly on Instagram, and she's written some books as well. She's a great scholar on it. But it's something that I love talking about because, for example, when we talk about the black consumer, uh, intersectionality has to do with that. What, kind, what experience in the black female experience are we talking about here, right? Is there room for mm-hmm. expansion? Is there room for more types of black women at the black woman table? You see what I'm saying? And so right. we, have to, we have to go deeper when we talk about inclusion. We can't just, um, you know, only talk about one type of person. We have to say, okay, within diversity, there is diversity. Right. That's true. Very true. And one of the questions I was going to ask um, was, you know, how are you using your your voice to make a difference? I feel like the fact that you even do this on Instagram is a way of making a difference because it's making a lot of people aware um, of so many different things that we, we just never even think about or some of us just don't know about. Um, so definitely make sure everybody goes out and go out and follow her uh, because I really enjoy I, I really enjoy that. But um, again, I think the whole the whole issue of diversity really is a lot about um, educating ourselves, um, getting more familiar with um, people of, of different races, of different backgrounds. Um, my sister and I are on a diversity committee for our union. And, um, you know, that's one of the things that, uh, you know, we talk about just communicating openly and getting to know each other, you know, and, and our differences, um, as well as the things that we, you know, as well as our similarities, of course, but um, definitely getting more familiar with our differences. And I think that's a great step into just getting to know people better and understanding who, you know, who we all are and why we do the things that we do and giving other people a chance to better understand us. Um, my sister made a comment on the the interview yesterday that she doesn't like when people say, I don't see color. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, why don't you explain that a little bit, um, what you were, how did you respond to that uh, yesterday? Explain that a little bit. Basically, I was just saying that when when people say they don't see color, I feel like they're saying that they don't see me, or you know mm-hmm. they, they or they don't see you know anybody else you know. And I feel like you seeing my color is important. Um, I feel like you have to know that I'm different from you. You have to know mm-hmm. that there are certain things that I do that I may say that I might like that you may be the total opposite, and that's okay. But I feel like you need to know that so that you understand me better. So I, I don't like it when people say, I don't see color. Because if you don't see color, then what do you see? Exactly. 
Yeah, no, I understand that 100%. And I also, you know, just from doing my work and, and being very active, I also chair a um, council nationally of DNI leaders across different industries. So I know when I'm speaking about this, I'm speaking from numerous industries, right? Um, you know, a lot of people, particularly people who are, you know, children of the 60s, 70s, even 50s, right, or earlier, were raised to with the, with kind of the the vibe of not seeing color is a good thing, right? Like we don't if you see color that means you know you're discriminating or something like that. And so how that translates to today is many of those children are now in management positions or leadership positions, <laughs> and so a lot of them are are interpreting the events of 2020 and saying, wait a minute, I thought I wasn't supposed to see color. I thought I was supposed to, you know promote people based off of their skill set. I'm not going to look at them differently because of the color of their skin, right? And your point is valid. Many people, including myself, are saying, but hold up. Who said color was a bad thing, right? Like, color is a part of my identity. I'm proud to be a black woman, right? I need you to see my blackness so you can see different parts of me that that are at the decision-making table that make, maybe make me bring up something you didn't notice before or a differing point of view or something unique to the conversation, right? And so I think your point is very good. That, But I just wanted to add that example that some, some people literally from childhood were made to believe that not seeing color was a good thing. So now my work, yeah. right, and many of the work of my peers across different companies and different industries is to undo that, to say, well, actually, you have to see color. Because quite honestly, not only if you don't see color, you don't see what someone brings to the table as part of themselves, but also if you're not seeing race, how are you going to see racism? You know what I mean? You have to mm-hmm. see what's mm-hmm. happening to people because of the color of their skin. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to notice that if you don't see race and you're not searching for differing experiences right. in society. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Natalie, I'm getting messages that's saying that you need to um, come back for a part two. <laughs> Well, that's good. Not only do we need to do a part two, but also apparently you're better than the Emmys, which, my goodness, that's the right. Like, right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I'm just putting I'm just putting that out there. Maybe you could come and we could go over some of these terms or something. Whatever you want, <laughs> just put it sure, out there yeah, for whatever. you. Um, yeah, we'll work something <laughs> out. Whatever. I had fun tonight. I'm excited. Yes. <laughs> Well, this is our time. We're not going to hold you longer because I know it's late. Um, but thank you so much. We greatly appreciate you being here tonight. Um, this is fun. Uh, we learned a lot, uh, and a lot of so far, a lot of nice comments coming in. So again, like you said, we're better than the Emmy, so that's a good thing as well. Um, I was kind of afraid. I forgot about the Emmys actually, and it wasn't until almost nine o'clock when I started thinking about the Emmys, and I'm like, oh my god. I hope we're going to have some people listening to us, <laughs> but nonetheless, um, <laughs> we do. We have a lot of people sitting out on the phone lines here listening, so I'm thankful for that. So thank you guys for tuning in. Um, so it's, this has been a great conversation, very informative, um, and I can tell that uh, diversity has been something that's been a part of your life. I can just tell by the way you you talk about it. It sounds like this is something you could talk about all day and night. Um, yes. And I'm probably, I'm probably sure you do. Um, <laughs> yeah, but um, definitely. So I'm having people saying they want to learn more. So, yeah, let's let's see what we can work on to, um, to get you back soon. Absolutely. And, and for those listening, in the meantime, as we try to pick a part two date, feel free, shameless plug again, follow me on Instagram, because as our lovely hostess has mentioned, I often teach inclusion and I'm talking about different diversity topics day in and day out on my Instagram. So just follow me. It's just Natalie Nielsen Edwards, um, and I'll come right up. Um, but it's been lovely to talk with you all, and I can't wait to continue the conversation. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Natalie, and have a wonderful evening. Thank you both. I appreciate it. Take care. Absolutely. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
Thank you guys for tuning in. As always, um, each and every Sunday night, we greatly appreciate you. Um, for those of you who may have missed um, some of the episodes that we had in this series, there's five other episodes out there. Please go back, take a listen. Um, we've had some great conversations on diversity in different areas of beauty and entertainment, and we're going to continue the conversations. I think we have, what, two more episodes left. So stay tuned. We'll be posting um, who our next guest is. And, um, again, follow us on social media as well. And my sister can tell you where you guys can follow us. If you're on Facebook, you can follow us. We're Beauty Talk Online Radio. And then on Twitter, we're Beauty underscore Talk. And on uh, Instagram, we're beauty underscore talk underscore media. And if you're following Janice and I both, you can follow us simply just by our names at Janice Tunnell. That's J-A-N-I-C-E-T-U-N-N-E-L-L. She's on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And then you can follow me, Denise. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram with just Denise Tunnell, D-E-N-I-S-E-T-U-N-N-E-L-L. All right. Again, thank you guys for tuning in. We greatly appreciate it. Um, we appreciate your support. And for those of you who will listen on the playback, we thank you guys. We know a lot of our listeners um, in the U.K. and other parts of the world are probably sleep right now. So we thank you guys for always listening to, um, to the playback. So we greatly appreciate it. With that being said, everyone have a good evening. Um, continue to be blessed. And we'll talk with you guys again next Sunday night. Good night. Good night.